Hello, and welcome to The Deeper Podcast, a podcast all about living lives that unleash courageous love in small and big ways. I'm Reverend Sean, one of your hosts, and today on the podcast, we are freaking out because guess what? It is December. I mean, if you're listening to this when we go live, it is December, and I didn't really realize this till the other day, I think it was December 5th, and I was walking through Target, and I looked over and I saw one of those advent calendars. You know those rectangular boxes of chocolate with the perforated holes, one for each day of December leading up to Christmas? And I realized that my family was way late. I mean, super late. I mean, five days late. There were five chocolates that should have been consumed once in the morning. And I mean, the chocolates, they're not very good. They're sort of waxy, and sometimes you can figure out what exactly the design is that's sort of been punched upon it. And I started to feel bad. The shame spiral that you get into as a parent, you're like, Geez, I am depriving my child. I have failed as a parent because I haven't figured out this whole advent calendar thing. But as that shame spiral was starting to begin, I realized something. Maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay that we're five days late for our advent calendar. Sometimes when we are looking ahead, preparing for what's to come, trying to plan and prep, that all can actually get in the way of what's most important. And that's why I wanna share with you about the series that we're about to begin, which is called Making Room. Take a listen. Like the inns in the Christmas story, we too can feel like there isn't enough room in our lives. Room for friendship or connection, room for generosity, or mystery, creativity, or room for hope. We have been stuck for so long. We think we already know how things will turn out. And survival feels like our only mode. We forget that all new life begins with invitation. And welcome the softening of the heart to the unexpected the softening of the heart to the vulnerable let's begin again let's slow down and release prepare for mystery in every direction prepare for the gifts of life that are always offering themselves to us if only our hands and hearts were not too full to receive. This December, make room for hope. Make room for hope to arrive in the most unexpected ways. Make room for love that is still arriving to grow. As I was thinking about the advent calendar, I realized that there's a slight benefit of being late, which means that you get to eat more chocolate on that first day. Sometimes not being prepared has small, unexpected rewards. So this holiday season, we're going to invite you to make room to make room for the unexpected, to make room for hope and love to arrive in unexpected ways. And that's gonna take our 
And that's going to take some discipline. It's going to take some discipline to push away that the preparations, the fear of missing out, all of the stories of the holiday season that says we need to fit it all in and instead find a way to be present to the moment. Now, today you're going to hear from Reverend Gretchen. This season in the Christian tradition is called Advent, the season of waiting for the birth of Jesus, of preparing. And so today we're exploring how we can how we can be prepared. And what does it mean to be prepared? But before we hear from Gretchen, we want to share with you a piece of writing done by Patrick Roan in his book, Enough. It's a small essay he wrote about what does it mean to be prepared? It's entitled, it's entitled, In Case of Rain, Sing. Most people, in general, have an aversion to getting caught in the rain for an extended period of time. Let's say, for the sake of argument, you are one of these people. Because you don't like getting caught in the rain, you plan ahead by buying an umbrella. One of those nice, long, classic umbrellas with a large canopy and strong frame. An umbrella that will last a lifetime if properly cared for. It's great. It's not the sort of thing you want to carry around all the time, but if the forecast calls for rain, you are ready for it. One day, you leave the house on a nice sunny day. Certainly not a day you will need an umbrella. Not a cloud in the sky. Then, by noon, the sky begins to darken. By late afternoon, a torrential rainfall begins just before you need to leave work. Your car is parked far across the parking lot. You don't have an umbrella. You dash to your car and get soaking wet. You pull into the driveway of home and dash to the house and get wet again. Twice, having to dash through the rain, you now resemble a wet kitten. An angry, wet kitten. The next day, you go out and buy one of those cheap yet compact umbrellas you can get at any discount store. It's small and packable. Not the sort of thing you want to have in your bag all the time, but certainly something you can keep in the glove box of your car. That way, the next time it rains, you will have an umbrella close at hand. A few days later, you are in a restaurant having a nice long chat with an old friend Yet again, while you are there, it begins to rain. Oh, shoot! Your traveling umbrella is in the car. What are you going to do? Either stay in the restaurant and wait for the rain to pass, or run to the car and get soaking wet. You have to get home. The kids are waiting. You choose to run. 
You get soaking wet again, but at least this time you will only have to get wet once. When you get home, you can use the umbrella in the car to shelter you from car door to house door. You still look like a drenched kitten, only slightly less angry. The compact umbrella was a great idea, was close at hand, but not right where you needed it, when you needed it. That said, even with its compact size, it is still too large to have with you everywhere. So, the next day you go to the discount store. There you purchase a packable rain poncho, one of those clever jobs that packs into its own little pocket and can be carried everywhere with you. Of course, this means that even on sunny days, you'll be running around carrying a rain poncho with you just in case. At which of these points to you would it have been okay to get a little wet? Would it have been okay to know that if the forecast called for rain, then and only then would you take an umbrella and know that when not expected, you might get a bit wet? Would you have done a bit of research and situationally planned to realize that what you really needed all along was the rain poncho and saved money by not buying two umbrellas to find that out? Is the aversion to getting wet greater than the cost and hassle of having to carry something you don't always need around with you everywhere just in case you may need it? There is no right answer here, of course. If you are the sort of person who really, really, really can't stand getting caught in the rain, then carrying around spare ponchos and umbrellas everywhere you go might be the right answer. For those who absolutely positively hate carrying stuff around, getting wet is the right answer. The only thing I challenge each to do is to really think about what you care about before wasting a lot of money and time buying things for just-in-case reasons. This is not only about umbrellas. It is about everything. Life happens. We can't possibly be prepared for it all. Decide to be adequately prepared for the things that matter to you, balanced with practicality and the realization that sometimes you are going to get a little wet no matter how many umbrellas you own. Who knows? You might even have a little fun. Especially instead of getting angry, you sing. I've been thinking this week about the Jewish people and the stories of Hanukkah. Hanukkah falls early this year. The last night of Hanukkah is actually tomorrow. It is another example of time feeling really differently these days. We've had many years where Hanukkah was right on top of uh, Christmas Eve, but this year it's a little early. You'll remember Hanukkah is the story of a people who have been oppressed for generations, unable to return to their place of worship until a small group of rebels called the Maccabees rise up and take back their temple. 
So the Jewish people, they're celebrating, they're overjoyed, they're returning until they realize they don't have the materials they need for the festival that they want to have. They don't have enough oil. When I realized, thinking about this uh, this week, for the first time, I realized just how absurd this is. That is, that they wouldn't have enough oil. They have been waiting generations, for, after all, to get back into that temple and to perform this festival. And they didn't think to make sure that they had the very thing they'd need in order to do what they'd been longing to do. I mean, they had decades, I mean, centuries even, to plan for this oil. And all they needed was eight days worth. But then they get to the temple and only then realize there's only enough for one day. How could this happen? I mean, did they too have problems with their supply chain? Sorry, couldn't resist. You all were thinking it too. But really, how is it possible after all this time that they weren't prepared? The story of Hanukkah is set in a time when many people were foretelling the end of the world and the revealing of a new world. It was an apocalyptic age. That is the sort of age, the sort of time that people are prepare for. The people that prepare for those worst case scenarios, either for the whole world or worst case scenarios for just their particular part of the world. And by people who prepare, I mean someone other than me. I have never been a prepper. I have to be honest. I grew up in the Northwest and I never owned an umbrella until I moved to Colorado. So I've never been a prepper in any sort of the term, but I have often been fascinated by that mindset of people who prepare for those worst case scenarios. Growing up, I babysat for a family that, that one day I went down to their basement and I realized they had gallons like whole rooms of water jugs stockpiled in it down there and which being in the northwest was really confusing to me because there's like literally water everywhere but one of my friends actually had a bomb shelter um growing up um because it was the 80s i asked every time i went over to their house if we could go see it I was even mesmerized by my grandmother's pantry with its rows and rows and shelves and shelves of canned goods. Every time she went to the grocery store, she'd still get one or two more just in case. To prepare for the worst to happen requires a certain kind of pessimistic psychology or at least a bias towards cynicism. Because at least in those most extreme cases, preppers aren't just thinking that the world's going to end, that's one thing, but that the world ending will bring out the worst in people, thus requiring their individual independent preparation, their stockpiling, etc. Preparing gives you a sense of control. After all, you might not be able to fix everything including other people, but at least you'll be ready. Ready for whatever you believe could happen. Over the years, of course, people have shifted what they assess could happen based on their sense of their biggest threat, depending on what is going on culturally and collectively. 
In the 1960s and 70s, there was a strong sense of potential economic collapse, collapse and famine in the wake of widespread inflation. So preppers prepared for that. In the 1980s, again, a nuclear annihilation, obviously. The 90s started up the freak out over the Y2K apocalypse. Remember that? It was also when that time in the 90s when stockpiling guns went berserk, which was only amplified by the September 11th attacks and the increasing, our increasing understanding of the impact of climate change. The housing crisis and economic collapse of 2008 renewed people's fears about economic instability. And in this last decade, there was that increasing sense of a threat of global pandemics, except in this case, the preppers were right. In March 2020, every prepper felt redeemed. Suddenly, your crazy uncle seemed not so crazy, and every Walking Dead fan could claim credible expertise. While the rest of us tried to figure out just how much toilet paper a person would need in a pandemic, and the only answer that we could figure out was more. Beyond the stockpiling in those early days of the pandemic, others started taking up gardening or maybe just expanding their existing gardening, started canning and bread making, all this because we were home more, of course, but also because there was a sense we might need these skills, these capacities in new ways. Others over this time have bought generators, learned to filter water, or learned other new survival skills. Many of us built greater relationships with our neighbors, something that many preppers would recommend, because alongside the notion that survivalists talk about looking out for themselves, most will also acknowledge that actual survival requires relationships and community. Now, though it might seem counterintuitive, given that it creates a degree of uh, less economic stability, the so-called great resignation that is the wave of people leaving jobs is also connected to these impulses to prepare. After all, if the end is near, spending our days in long-suffering service to those who would sacrifice little stops making much sense. Now, I confess to buying myself a few extra cans of beans and a few things to store in the freezer when we first went into lockdown. The moment I really started to feel more urgent in my own apocalyptic preparations was in the fall of 2020, when the wildfires came close. Suddenly, the stories Octavia Butler wrote about in the parable of the sower seemed less like science fiction and more like prophecy. Butler's book, The Parable of the Sower, was written in 1993. So it was written in 1993, but it takes place in the year 2024. It tells about a society collapsing in the wake of climate change, economic inequality, and corporate greed. Yeah, it starts to feel less like science fiction and more like prophecy. It's 2022, by the way, in case you need a reminder of the time. So 2020, it's almost 2022. And so just about two years till 2024. 
The main character in the parable of the sower, Lauren O'Molina, recognizes that things are only getting worse. So she starts planning for full-on societal collapse. She makes what she calls her go bag, an emergency survival kit filled with the things that she thinks she'd need if she needed to pick up and go quickly, which before too long, she must. Last October, when the fires came close, I started to think seriously about packing my family's go bags, which isn't just about what's in a bag, but also what are the plans for escape, where we would go and with whom. Maybe for others, this impulse would be born, was born over the extremes of the hurricane season or the Texas freeze and the power grid failure or the unrest due to racial injustice and the rise of white nationalism, the attacks on our capital. Over these last two years, doomsday hasn't felt like it required all that much pessimism, just a willingness to see the world for what's really going on. Apocalypse at its roots means to disclose or uncover, you know, like as in the book of Revelations. At the time of the Maccabean uprising, which led to the people returning to their temple unprepared though they were, there was a sense of profound change and revelation everywhere. A feeling that the evils of this world were coming to an end so that a new age could begin. Now, often when we tell these stories, we, sell, we focus on the celebration that is the triumph of that new world that is coming. But the reality of apocalypse is that for a long time, it is just the experience of the evils that it is the world, the new world itself. It is the longing for the new world in the midst of despair which is to say it was a traumatic time, a chaotic time, a time of fear and struggle. By the time the Jewish people returned to the temple, they had known trauma for generations, some would say most of their history. Last week, Sean spoke about the impact of trauma over generations, the ways that injury gets coded, the injury of trauma gets coded in our bodies alongside our coping techniques and adaptations, and how moving on without tending to the harm inhibits our imaginations and keeps us caught in patterns we don't understand. And so we have to imagine that for all the ways the Jewish people might have been longing for so long to return to that temple, their preparations over the years were not focused on that happy ending, which have, would have been totally outside their imaginations by then. They'd surely stopped longing for oil long ago. They needed all their efforts instead to prepare for whatever the next disaster would be. The biggest threat, like nuclear annihilation or Y2K or the next variant or the next wildfire season, whatever big worry any of us might be holding in our minds and hearts 
these days. Over time, if trauma goes on, chaos and chaos continues as it did for the Jews, we ultimately come to the limits of our own preparation. We stop preparing to survive and we just survive. Which is why when the rabbis told the story of Hanukkah years later, they told not just about the uprising of the Maccabees or how the people returning to the temple did not have enough oil. They also told how the people decided to light the lamp anyway. Despite the fact that they had not stockpiled sufficiently, the rabbis wanted to remind us that sometimes preparation isn't about getting more stuff or getting more stuff done. Sometimes preparation isn't about what you do. It is more about who you are and whose you are. In their case, preparation was like the lessons of the, the rain and the umbrella. For all those years in exile, they had not forgotten what mattered most. Their deepest loyalties and commitments. Despite the chaos and confusion of their age, they remained focused on their faith, their trust in their God, that is, their trust in the ultimacy of life in a greater sense, that there was more at work than they could see or control or understand. And it was this choice this surrender to mystery and possibility beyond what they could see that made the miracle of Hanukkah possible. That the oil was insufficient became in their trusting act more than enough. In our own apocalyptic age, that is this time where so much remains unpredictable and confusing and all also, so much is being uncovered, revealed. This, this story, this is such good news. Because it reminds us that we cannot effort our way through this. And by this, of course, I mean the pandemic. I also mean the effects of climate change. I mean our current political mess and the white supremacy and colonialism that is baked into our culture. I mean all of this. We cannot effort or plan our way out of this. And also, I mean the challenges of the every. I mean growing up and loving, raising children, finding meaning, grieving aging. All of these things, global and personal, require planning and effort, of course, but planning and effort are not enough. Our plans, it turns out, will not save us, and sometimes our plans can even get in the way. Because sometimes when we are so focused on making sure that we thought of everything, prepared ourselves for everything, controlled everything, we forget to make room for all the things that are beyond our imagination and beyond our will, beyond our control. I mean, imagine if the Jewish people had spent centuries focused on ensuring they had enough oil. As the decades and centuries passed, 
This practical preparation would likely distract them from their deeper commitment, that is, the orientation of the heart that was needed, both to sustain them through their long exile. And also, such a focus would keep them from seeing when the time came that the oil they had in the temple was already enough. Preparation is not always a to-do list. Sometimes it is a letting go and a laying down, a letting in. Sometimes preparation is not control. It is a surrender to all the things we cannot control so that we can more fully accept and receive what is. For this December, the second December of our global pandemic, I wonder what it would mean to prepare ourselves like this. To set down the worries of what if, even for a few days, if that's too much, like a few hours. To release ourselves from the needing to know, the refreshing of the news or the social feed, the constant stimulation, the idolatry of understanding, to find ourselves for a time at home in the profound mystery. To embrace confusion and chaos as a part of life. Even a gift, too to slow down and honor the trauma that we've been through, that we're still going through with compassion, compassion for ourselves and for others. And to know that this suffering will not be relieved on our timeline and it will not be forever. And to accept, as Richard Rohr describes, that we cannot demand history be completed in our lifetimes. We can't demand that history be completed in our lifetimes, for we must know that to be human is to live without closure. This is the sort of preparations that Christians talk about in the season of Advent. That is this time where we set aside our limited and limiting plans to believe again that a better world is still possible, that beloved community is on its way, if only like the innkeeper of the Christmas story, we will make room. Make room for the stranger and whatever that means for you. Whatever and whomever feels totally unknown and confusing, like it would throw off your schedules and your routines. In this season, we are invited to prepare for that sort of stranger. We are invited to set aside our worst case scenario mantras and instead turn to wonder and curiosity and a willingness to be totally surprised, even totally wrong. Every day, love offers itself to us in partnership and hope, in the least expected ways. Every day, there are moments of grace that we miss with our busyness and our assumptions and our need for control. We are so full, we cannot receive. 
every day, people are kind and generous. And pockets of community and creativity are flourishing. The geese fly in formation in the vast sky overhead every day. This year and every year, Christmas comes. And the light will return. And the oil will be enough regardless of our striving or our planning. And so let us soften our hearts, release all we can, and center ourselves on all that matters most, so that we might be truly prepared for joy. Amen, and blessed be. I know when I hear Gretchen preach like this, I immediately say yes, and then I'm also like, but how do I do that? Right. It, it can be kind of intimidating and it feel like we need to be doing more, even though sometimes making room means doing less. And so I want you to do just a quick thing. Get out a piece of paper and a pen or open a note on your phone. And just ask yourself. What do I need to make room for? It doesn't have to be, you don't have to write a whole sentence, you don't have to write a whole paragraph, it can just be a word. Just what are you hoping is going to be born in you in in your life this month? Could be a feeling of of peace, of hope, of of connection, of deepening a relationship. It could be less stress. And then under it, I want you to write one thing that you can do. One small thing, so small that it's not gonna take that much effort or that much convincing of your inner self to do. One small thing that you can do daily or maybe even hourly to help make space for that, for that which is most important. And I want you to write that down too. And then in the next hour or couple of hours, I want you to commit to yourself to do that thing. Even if you can only do a micro version of it, do it. Allow yourself the opportunity to make room for what is most important. It's worth it. You're worth it. What's going to help you receive the gifts of this life, even if you're unprepared to receive them? Well, that's about it for this week's episode of The Deeper Podcast. We'd so appreciate it if you went onto Apple Podcasts and left us a review and a rating. It really does make it easier for other people to find the podcast, even when they're just searching in the keywords. We'd so appreciate you helping to spread the word and maybe sending this link to someone in your family, even if they're not connected to our community, because you think they would resonate with what we're doing here. Well, until next time, thanks for listening. Mercy, Ooh. may we meet this moment.